Welcome back to Govardhan Hill. Here we're reading Srila Prabhupada's book, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And in just one minute, a Swami is going to appear and he'll read special prayers to set us off on our journey today into the land of Vrindavan, where we'll see Krishna and his friends. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Maharaj will read special prayers from Sanatana Goswami, glorifying the Srimad Bhagavatam and giving us perspective of what we're actually reading here today. Sarvashastabdipiyusha Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnadya Sarva Lokaika Drikprada O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures, singular fruit of all the Vedas, rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths, you are the only giver of sight to all the worlds. Sarva Bhagavata Prana Srimad Bhagavata Prabhu Kalidvanduditaditya Sri Krishna Parivartita O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees, O Master Srimad Bhagavatam, you are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali. You are the exact image of Sri Krishna. Paramananda Pataya Prema Varshaksharayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Shri Krishnaya Namostume I bow down to you who are supremely blissful to read. Your every syllable pours down a flood of prema. You can always be served by everyone. You are Shri Krishna himself. Madekabando Matsangin Madguroman Mahadana Mannesda Matamagbhagya my only friend, my constant companion, my spiritual master, my great wealth, my savior, my good fortune, my source of ecstasy, I bow down to you. Asadu sadhuta dayen adini chuchatakara hanamun chagadachin mam O bestower of saintliness to the unsaintly, O exalter of the most fallen, please never leave me. Always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Reading from Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Chapter What? 36 That's what I have Kangsa sends Akrura for Krishna. <clears throat> Vrindavan was always absorbed in, thought, in the thought of Krishna. 
everyone remembered his pastimes and was constantly merged in the ocean of transcendental bliss. But the material world is so contaminated that even in Vrindavan, the asuras, or demons, tried to disturb the, the peaceful situation. Once a demon named Arishtasura entered the village in the form of a great bull with a gigantic body and huge horns digging up the earth with his hooves. When the demon entered Vrindavan, the whole land appeared to tremble as if there were an earthquake. He roared fiercely, and after digging up the earth on the riverside, he entered the village proper. The fearful roaring of the bull was so piercing that some of the pregnant cows and women had miscarriages. Its body was so big, stout, and strong that a cloud hover over its body, just as clouds hover over mountains. Aristasura entered Vrindavan with such a fearful appearance that just on seeing this great demon, all the men and women were afflicted with great fear, and the cows and other animals fled the village. The situation became very terrible, and all the inhabitants of Vrindavan began to cry, Krishna, Krishna, please save us. Krishna saw that the cows were running away, and he immediately replied, Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He then appeared before Arishtasura and said, You lowest of living entities, why are you frightening the inhabitants of Gokula? What will you gain by this action? If you have come to challenge my authority, then I am prepared to fight you. In this way, Krishna challenged the demon and the demon became very angry by the words of Krishna. Krishna stood before the bull, resting his hand on the shoulder of a friend. The bull proceeded toward Krishna in anger. Digging the earth with his hooves, Arishtasura lifted his tail, and it appeared that clouds were hovering about the tail. His eyes were reddish and moving in anger. Pointing his horns at Krishna, he charged him, just like the thunderbolt of Indra. But Krishna immediately caught his horns and tossed him away, just as a gigantic elephant repels a small, inimical ele elephant. Although, although the demon was perspiring and appeared very tired, he took courage and got up. Again he charged Krishna with great force and anger. While rushing toward Krishna, he breathed very heavily, Krishna again caught his horns and immediately threw him to the ground, breaking his horns. Krishna then began to kick his body, just as one squeezes a wet cloth on the ground. <laughs> Being thus kicked by Krishna, Arashtasura rolled over and began to move his legs violently. Bleeding from the mouth and passing stool and urine, his eyes starting from their sockets, he passed to the kingdom of death. The demigods in the celestial planets showered flowers on Krishna for his wonderful achievement. Krishna was already the life and soul of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, and after killing this demon in the shape of a bull, he became the sinusure of all eyes. With Balaram, he triumphantly entered Vrindavan village, and the inhabitants glorified him and Balaram 
with great jubilation. When a person performed such when a person when a person performs such wonder some wonderful feat, his kinsmen and relatives and friends naturally become jubilant. It was after this incident that the great sage Narda disclosed to Kangsa the secret of Krishna. Narda Muni is generally known as Deva Darshana, which means that he can only that he can be seen only by demigods or persons on the same level with the demigods. But Narada visited Kangsa, who was not at all on the level of the demigods, and allowed Kangsa to see him. Of course, Kangsa also saw Krishna, what to speak of Narada Muni. But unless one sees the Lord or his devotees with purified eyes, one cannot derive the actual benefit. Of course, Anyone who associates with a pure devotee derives imperceptible benefit, which is called agyata sukriti. One cannot understand how he is making progress, yet he makes progress by seeing the devotee of the Lord. Narada Muni's mission was to finish things quickly. Krishna appeared in order to kill the demons and Kangsa was chief among them. Narda wanted to expedite things. Therefore, he immediately approached Kangsa with all the real information. You were to be killed by the eighth son of Basudev, Narda told Kangsa. That eighth son is Krishna. You were misled by Vasudev into believing that the eighth issue of Vasudev was a daughter. Actually, the daughter was born to Yashoda, the wife of Nanda Maharaj, and Vasudev exchanged his son for the daughter so that you were misled. Krishna is the son of Vasudev, as is Balaram. Being afraid of your atrocious nature, Vasudev has tactfully hidden them in Vrindavan, out of your sight. Narda further informed Kangsa, Krishna and Balaram have been living incognito in the care of Nanda Maharaj. All the Asuras, your companions who were sent to Vrindavan to kill different children, were killed by Krishna and Balaram. As soon as Kangsa got this information from Narada Muni, he took out his sharp sword and prepared to kill Vasudev for his duplicity. But Narada pacified him. You are not to be killed by Vasudev, he said. Why are you so anxious to kill him? Better to try kill better try to kill Krishna and Balaram. But in order to satisfy his wrath, Kangsa arrested Vasudev and his wife and shackled them in iron chains. Acting on the new information, Kangsa immediately called for the Keshi demon and asked him to go to Vrindavan immediately to kill Balaram and Krishna. In actuality, Kangsa asked Keshi to go to Vrindavan to be killed by Krishna and Balaram and thus get salvation. Then Kangsa called for his expert elephant trainers as well as for the wrestlers Chanura, Mushtika, Shala, Toshala, etc. And he told them, My dear friends, try to hear me attentively. At Nanda Maharaja's place in Vrindavan, there are two brothers, 
Krishna and Balaram, they are actually two sons of Basudev. As you know, I have been destined to kill, be killed by Krishna. There is a prophecy to this effect. Now, I am requesting you to arrange for a wrestling match. People from different parts of the country will come, for, come, will come to see the festival. I will arrange to get those two boys here, and you will try to kill them in the wrestling arena. Wrestling matches are still enjoyed by people in northern India, and it appears from the statements of Srimad Bhagavatam that 5,000 years ago, wrestling was also popular. Kangsa planned to arrange such a wrestling co competition and to invite people to visit. He also told the trainers of the elephants, be sure to bring the elephant named Kuvalayapida and keep him at the, at the gate of the wrestling arena. Try to capture Krishna and Balaram on their arrival and have the elephant kill them. Kangsa also advised his friends to arrange to worship Lord Shiva by offering animal sacrifices and performing the sacrifice called Dhanur Yagya and the sacrifice performed on the 14th, 14th day of the moon known as Chaturdashi. This date falls three days after Ekadashi and it is set aside for the worship of Lord Shiva. One of the plenary portions of Lord Shiva is called Kala Bhairava. This form of Lord Shiva is worshipped by demons who offer animals killed before him. The process is still current in India in a place called Vajanat Dham, where demons offer animal sacrifices to the deity of Kala Bhairava. Kangsa belonged to this demoniac group. He was also an expert diplomat, and so he arranged and so he quickly arranged for his demon friends to try to kill Krishna and Balaram. He then called for Akrura, one of the descendants of the family of Yadu, in which Krishna was born as the son of Basudev. When Akrura came to see Kangsa, Kangsa very politely shook hands with him and said, My dear Akrura, actually I have no better friend than you in the Boja and Yadu dynasties. You are the most munificent person. So as a friend, I am begging charity from you. Actually, I have taken shelter of you exactly as King Indra takes shelter of Lord Vishnu. I request you to go immediately to Vrindavan and find the two boys named Krishna and Balaram. They are the sons of Nanda Maharaj. Take this nice chariot, especially prepared for the boys, and bring them here immediately. That is my request to you. Now, my plan is to kill these two boys. As soon as they come in the gate, there will be a gigantic, a giant elephant named Kuvalayapida waiting, and, pro and possibly he will be able to kill them. But if somehow or other they escape, they will next meet the wrestlers and will be killed by them. That is my plan. And after killing these two boys, I shall kill Vasudev and Nanda, who are supporters of the Vrishni and Boja dynasties. I shall also kill my father, Ugrasena, and his brother, Devaka, because they are actually my enemies, 
and are hindrances to my diplomacy and politics. Thus I shall get rid of all my enemies. Jirasandha is my father-in-law, and I have a great monkey friend named Dvidvida. With, the, with, with their help, it will be easy to kill the, all the kings on the surface of the earth who support the demigods. This is my plan. In this way, I shall be free of all, from all opposition, and it will be very pleasant to rule the world without obstruction. You may know also that Shambhara, Narakasura, and Banasura are my intimate friends. And when I begin this war against the kings who support the demigods, they will help me considerably. Surely I shall be rid of all my enemies. Please go immediately to Vrindavan and encourage the boys to come here to see the beauty of Mathura and take pleasure in the wrestling competition. After hearing this plan of Kangsa's, Akru replied, My dear king, your plan is very excellently made to counteract the hindrances to your diplomatic activities. But you should ma maintain equilibrium for the result of your activities may be fruitful or may not be fruitful. After all, man proposes, God disposes. We may make very make great we may make very great plans, but unless they are sanctioned by the supreme authority, they will fail. Everyone in this material world knows that the supernatural power is the ultimate disposer of everything. One may make a very great plan with his fertile brain, but he must know that he will be subjected to the fruits, misery and happiness. But I have nothing to say against your proposal. As a friend, I shall carry out your order and bring Krishna and Balaram here as you desire. After instructing his friends in various ways, Kangsa retired and Akrura went back to his home. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 36th chapter of Krishna, Kangsa Sensor Krura for Krishna. Chapter 37, Killing, of, killing the Keshi Demon and Vyomasura. After being instructed by Kamsa, the demon Keshi assumed the form of a terrible horse. He entered the area of Vrindavan with the speed of the mind, his great mane flying and his hooves digging up the earth. He began to whinny and terrify the whole forest. Krishna saw that the demon was terrifying all the residents of Vrindavan with his whinnying and his tail wheeling in the sky like a big cloud. Krishna could understand that the horse was challenging him to fight. The Lord accepted his challenge and stood before the Keshi demon calling him to fight. The horse then ran toward Krishna making a horrible sound like a roaring lion his jaws spread wide open as if to swallow the whole sky. Keshi rushed toward the Lord with great speed and tried to trample him with his legs, which were strong, forceful, and as hard as stone. Krishna, however, immediately caught hold of his legs and thus baffled him. Krishna was somewhat angry, and thus he began to whirl the horse around. 
After a few rounds, he contemptuously threw him a hundred yards away, just as Garuda throws a big snake. Thrown by Krishna, the horse immediately passed out, but after a little while, he regained consciousness and with great anger and force, again rushed toward Krishna with his mouth open. As soon as Keshi reached him, Krishna pushed his left arm within the horse's mouth, and it looked as though a big snake had entered a hole in the field. The horse felt great pain because Krishna's arm felt to him like a hot iron rod. Immediately his teeth fell out. Krishna's arm within the mouth of the horse at once began to expand and Keshi's throat choked up. As the great horse suffocated, perspiration appeared on his body and he threw his legs hither and thither. As his last breath came, his eyeballs, eyeballs bulged in their sockets and he passed stool and urine simultaneously. Thus, the vital force of his life expired. When the horse was dead, his mouth became loose and Krishna could extract his arm without difficulty. He did not feel any surprise that the Keshi demon was killed so easily, but the demigods in the sky were amazed and out of their great appreciation, they offered Krishna greetings by showering flowers. After this incident, Narada Muni, the greatest of all devotees, came to see Krishna in a solitary place and began to talk with him. My dear Lord Krishna, he said, you are the unlimited super soul, the supreme controller of all mystic powers, the Lord of the whole universe, the all-pervading personality of Godhead. You are the resting place of the cosmic manifestation, the master of all the devotees and the Lord of everyone. My dear Lord, as the supersoul of all living entities, you remain concealed within their hearts exactly as fire remains concealed in every piece of fuel. You are the witness of all the activities of the living entities, and you are the supreme controller within their hearts. You are self-sufficient. Before the creation you existed, and by your energy you have created all the material elements. According to your perfect plan, this material world is created by the interaction of the modes of nature, and by you it is maintained and annihilated. Although you are unaffected by all these activities, you are the supreme controller eternally. My dear Lord, you have invented yourself on the surface of this earth just to kill all the so-called kings who are actually demons. These hobgoblins are cheating people in the dress of the princely order. You have invented yourself to fulfill your own statement that you come within this material world just to protect the principles of religion and annihilate unwanted miscreants. My dear Lord, I am therefore sure that the day after tomorrow I shall see demons like Chanura, Mushtaka, and other wrestlers and elephants, as well as Kamsa himself, killed by you. I shall see this with my own eyes. After this, I shall be able to see the killing of other demons like Shanka, Yavana, Mura, and Naraka Asura. I shall also see how you take away the Parijata flower from the kingdom of heaven and how you defeat the king of heaven himself. My dear Lord, Narada Muni continued, 
I shall then be able to see how you marry princesses, the daughters of chivalrous kings, by paying the price of kshatriya strength. Whenever a kshatriya wants to marry a very beautiful and qualified daughter of a great king, he must fight his competitors and emerge victorious. Then he is given the hand of the princess in charity. I shall also see how you save King Nriga from a hellish condition, said Nardamuni. This you shall enact in Dwarka. I shall also be able to see how you get your wife and the Shamataka jewel and how you save the son of a Brahmana from death after he has already been transferred to another planet. After this, I will be able to see you kill the Poundraka demon and burn to ashes the kingdom of Kashi. I will see how you kill the king of Chedi and Dantavakra during this great sacrifice of Maharaj Yudhishthira. Besides all this, it will be possible for me to see many other chivalrous activities while you remain in Dwarka. And all these activities performed by your grace will be sung by great poets throughout the world. And at the Battle of Kurukshetra, you will, take, you will take part as the chariot driver of your friend Arjuna. And as the invincible death incarnation eternal time, you will vanquish all belligerents assembled there. I shall see a large number of military forces killed on that battlefield. My lord, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto your lotus feet. You are situated completely in the transcendental position in perfect knowledge and bliss. You are complete in fulfilling all your desires. By exhibiting your internal potency, you have set up the influence of maya. Your unlimited potency cannot even be measured by anyone. My dear Lord, you are the supreme controller. You are under your own internal potency, and it is simply vain to think that you are dependent on any of your creations. You have taken birth in the Yadu dynasty and the Vish or the Vishni dynasty. Your advent on the surface of the earth in your original form of eternal blissful knowledge is your own pastime. You are not dependent on anything but yourself. Therefore, I offer my respectful obeisances unto your lotus feet. After offering his respectful obeisances to Lord Krishna, Narada Muni took permission and left. Narada Muni wanted to impress upon people in general that Krishna is fully independent. His activities, such as his appearance in the family of Yadu or his friendship with Arjuna, do not necessarily oblige him to act to enjoy their results. They are all pastimes, and for him, they are all play. But for us, they are actual, tangible facts. After he had killed the Keshi demon, Krishna returned to tending the cows with his friend. That's kind of an interesting point, because a lot of times, in trying to understand why certain things happen, and then... We can always, as I said the other day, pull out the Leela card and just say it's just Leela. But when Krishna's playing in his Leela, for us, Prabhupada said, these things are actual tangible facts. They're all pastimes, and for him, they're all play. But for us, they're actual tangible facts. After he had killed the Keshi demon, Krishna returned to tending the cows with his friends in the forest as though nothing had happened. 
Thus, Krishna is eternally engaged in his transcendental activities in Vrindavan with his friends, the coward boys and gopis. But sometimes he exhibits the extraordinary prowess of the Supreme Personality of Godhead by killing different types of demons. Later that morning, Krishna went to play with his coward boyfriends on the top of Govardhan Hill. They were imitating the play of thieves and police. Some of the boys became police constables, and some became thieves, and some took the role of lambs. While they were thus enjoying their childhood pastimes, a demon known by the name of Vyomasura, the demon who flies in the sky, appeared on the scene. He was the son of another great demon named Maya. These demons can perform wonderful magic. Vyomasura took the part of a coward boy playing as a thief and stole many boys who were playing the part of lambs. One after another, he took away almost all the boys and put them in the caves of the mountain and sealed the mouths of the caves with stones. Krishna could understand the trick the demon was playing. Therefore, he caught hold of him exactly as a lion catches hold of a lamb. The demon tried to expand himself like a hill to escape arrest, but Krishna did not allow him to get out of his clutches. He was immediately thrown to the ground with great force and killed, just as an animal is killed in the slaughterhouse. After killing the Vyoma demon, Lord Krishna released all his friends from the caves of the mountain. He was then praised by his friends and by the demigods for these wonderful acts. He again returned to Vrindavan with his cows and friends. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 37th chapter of Krishna, killing of the Keshi demon and Vyomasura. Too loud? No, it's not too loud. It's amazing how different it is. <clears throat> eh, eh, eh. Oh, excuse me. Why I yada? Chapter thirty-eight. A <clears throat> arrival in Brindavan. Narada Muni did not mention Krishna's killing Vyomasura, which means that he was killed on the same day as the Keshi demon. The Keshi demon was killed in the early morning, and after that the boys went to tend the cows on Govardhan Hill, and it was there that Vyomasura was killed. Both demons were killed in the morning. Akrura was requested by Kangsa to arrive in Rindavan by evening. After receiving instruction from Kangsa, Akrura started the next morning via chariot for Rindavan. Because Akrura himself was a great devotee of the Lord, while going to Rindavan, he began to pray to the Lord. Devotees are always absorbed in thoughts of Krishna and Akrura was constantly thinking of Lord Krishna's lotus eyes. 
He did not know what sort of pious activities he must have performed to gain an opportunity to go see Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram in Vrindavan on that day. A pure Vaishnava always thinks himself unfit to serve Krishna. So Akrura began to think him within himself that he was unfit for gaining the transcendental opportunity of seeing the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He considered himself as unfit for seeing Krishna as the materialistic person is for understanding the, the science of God or as a fourth-class person, a shudra, is for studying the Vedas. <clears throat> but then Akrura began to think, by the grace of Krishna, everything is possible, and thus, if he likes, I will be able to see him. Just as a blade of grass floating on the waves of a river may by chance come near the shore and gain shelter, a conditioned soul carried away by the waves of material existence may sometimes be saved by the grace of Krishna. Akrura thus thought that if Krishna willed, he would be able to see him. <clears throat> Akrura considered himself most fortunate that he was going to see Krishna, whom great mystic yogis desire to see. He was confident on that day, all the sin he was confident that on that day, all the sinful reactions of his past life would be finished and his fortunate human form of life would be successful. Akrur also considered that he was very much favored by Kangsa, who was sending him to bring Krishna back, to bring back Krishna and Balaram, <coughs> and thus enabling him to see the Lord. Akrura continued to consider that formerly great sages and saintly persons were liberated from the material world simply by seeing the shining nails of the lotus feet of Krishna. That supreme personality of Godhead has now come just like an ordinary human being, and it is my great fortune to be able to see him face to face, Akrura thought. He was thrilled with expectations of seeing the great, the very lotus feet which are worshipped by great demigods like Brahma, Narada, and Lord Shiva, which traverse the ground of Vrindavan and which touch the breasts of the gopis covered with tinges, tinges of kumkum. He thought, I am so fortunate that I will be able to see those very lotus feet on this day, and certainly... I shall be able to see the beautiful face of Krishna, which is marked on the forehead and the nose with tilak. And I shall also see his smile and his curling black hair. I can be sure of this opportunity because I see that today the deer are passing on my right side. Today it will be, today it will be possible for me to actually see the beauty of the spiritual kingdom of Vishnu Loka because Krishna is the supreme Vishnu, and he has advented himself out of his own good will. He is the reservoir of all beauty. Therefore, today my eyes will achieve perfection. Akuru knew beyond a doubt that Lord Krishna is the supreme Vishnu. Lord Vishnu glances over the material energy, and thus the cosmic manifestation comes into being. 
And although Lord Vishnu is the creator of this material world, he is free by his own energy from the influence of the material energy. By his internal potency, he can pierce the darkness of the material energy. Similarly, Krishna, the original Vishnu, by expanding his internal potency, created the inhabitants of Vrindavan. In the Brahma Sangita, it is, it is confirmed that the paraphernalia and the boat of Krishna are expansions of his internal potency. The same internal potency Krishna exhibits in Gogol Goloka Vrindavan is exhibited in the earthly Vrindavan, where he enjoys himself with his parents and in the company of his friends, the cowherd boys and gopis. By the statement of Krura, it is clear that since Krishna is transcendental to the modes of material nature, the inhabitants of Vrindavan, who are always engaged in loving service to the Lord, are also transcendental. Akrura also considered the necessity of the transcendental pastimes of the Lord. He thought that the transcendental activities, instructions, qualities, and pastimes of Krishna are all for the good fortune of people in general. The people can remain constantly in Krishna consciousness by discussing the Lord's transcendental form, qualities, pastimes, and paraphernalia. By doing so, the whole universe can actually live auspiciously and advance peacefully. But without Krishna consciousness, civilization is but a decorated dead body. A dead body may be decorated very nicely, but without consciousness, such decorations are useless. Human society without Krishna consciousness is useless and lifeless. Akrura thought, that Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna has now appeared as one of the descendants of the Yadu dynasty. The principles of religion are his enacted laws. Those who are abiding by such laws are demigods, and those who are not abiding are demons. He has advented himself to give protection to the demigods who are very obedient to the laws of the Supreme Lord. The demigods and the devotees of the Lord take pleasure in abiding by the laws of Krishna, and Krishna takes pleasure in giving them all sorts of protection. As confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita, these activities of Krishna, his protecting his devotees and killing the demons, are always good for men to hear and narrate. The glorious activities of the Lord will ever increasingly be chanted by the devotees and demigods. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is the spiritual master <clears throat> of all spiritual masters. He is the deliverer of all fallen souls and the proprietor of the three worlds. Anyone who is able to see him by eyes smeared with love of Godhead enjoys a festival of seeing. Today I shall be able to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead who by his transcendental beauty has attracted the Goddess of Fortune to live with him perpetually. As soon as I arrive in Vrindavan, 
I will get down from this chariot and fall prostrate to offer my obeisances to the Supreme Lord, the master of material nature and all living entities. The lotus feet of Krishna are always worshipped by great mystic yogis. So I, so I shall also worship his lotus feet and become one of his friends in Vrindavan, like the cowherd boys. When I bow down before Lord Krishna in that way, certainly he will place his fearless lotus hand on my head. His hand is offered to all conditioned souls who take shelter under his lotus feet. Krishna is the ultimate goal of life for all people who fear material existence. And certainly, when I see him, he will give me the shelter of his lotus feet. I am aspiring for the touch of his lotus-like hand on my head. When that hand touched by the, the when that hand touched the presentations of King Indra and King Bali, these two became qualified to be lords of the universe. And when that hand touched the gopis as they danced with Krishna in the Rasalila, it relieved all their fatigue. In this way, Akrura expected blessings from the hand of Krishna. He knew that Indra, who is the king of heaven and the master of the three worlds, the upper, middle, and lower planetary systems, was blessed by the Lord simply for, for his offering a little water, which Krishna accepted. Similarly, Bali Maharaj gave only three paces of land in charity to Vamanadeva, and he also offered a little water, which Lord Vamanadeva accepted, and thereby Bali Maharaj attained the position of Indra. <clears throat> when the gopis were dancing with Krishna in the rasa dance, they became fatigued, and Krishna wiped his hand, which is as fragrant as a lotus flower growing in the Manasa Sarovara lake, over the pearl-like drops of perspiration on the faces of the gopis. And immediately the gopis became refreshed. Thus Akrura was expecting benediction from, the, from that supreme hand of Krishna. Krishna's hand is capable of bestowing benediction upon all kinds of men if they take to Krishna consciousness. If one wants material happiness, like that of the king of heaven, he can der derive that benediction from the hand of Krishna. If one wants liberation from the pangs of material existence, he can also get that benediction from the hand of Krishna. And if one, in pure transcendental love for Krishna, wants personal association and the touch of his transcendental body, he can also gain that benediction from his hand. Akura was afraid, however, because he had deputed because he had been deputed by Kangsa, the enemy of Krishna. He thought, I am going to see Krishna as a messenger of the enemy. At that time he thought, Krishna is in everyone's heart as the super soul, so he must know my heart. Although Akura was trusted by the enemy of Krishna, his heart was clear. He was a pure devotee of Krishna. He risked becoming Kangsa's deputy just to meet Krishna. He was certain that although he was going as a representative of Kangsa, 
Krishna would not accept him as an enemy. Even though I am on a sinful mission, being deputed by Kangsa, when I approach the Supreme Personality of Godhead, I shall stand before him with all humility and folded hands. Surely he will be pleased with my devotional attitude, and maybe he will smile lovingly and look upon me, and thereby free me from all kinds of sinful reactions. I shall then be on the platform of transcendental bliss and knowledge. Since Krishna knows my heart, certainly when I approach him, he will embrace me. Not only am I a member of the Yadu dynasty, but I am his relative and an unalloyed pure devotee. By his merciful embrace, <clears throat> surely my body, heart, and soul will be completely cleansed of the actions and reactions of my past life. When our bodies touch, I will immediately stand up with folded hands, with all humility. Certainly, Krishna and Balaram will call me Akrura, uncle, and at that time my whole life will be glorious. Unless one is recognized by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, his life cannot be successful. It is clearly stated here that one should try to be recognized by the Supreme Personality of Godhead by one's service and devotion, without which the human form of life is condemned. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, the Supreme Lord, the Personality of Godhead, is equal to everyone. He has no friends and no enemies, but he is inclined to a devotee who renders him service with devotional love. The Bhagavad Gita also declares that the Supreme Lord is responsive in proportion to the devotional service rendered by the devotee. Akrura thought that Krishna was like the desire tree in the heavenly planets, which gives fruit according to the desire of the worshiper. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is also the source of everything. A devotee must know how to render service unto him and thus be recognized by him. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is therefore explained that one should serve both the spiritual master and Krishna simultaneously and in that way make progress in Krishna consciousness. Service rendered to Krishna under the di direction of the spiritual master is bona fide, bona fide service because the spiritual master is the manifested representative of Krishna. Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that when one satisfies the spiritual master, he satisfies the Supreme Lord. It is exactly like service in a government office. One has to work under the supervision of the departmental head. If the supervisor of the department is satisfied with the service of a particular person, a promotion and increase in pay will automatically come. Akrura then thought, When Krishna and Balaram were pleased with my behavior, certainly they will take my hand, receive me within their home, and offer me all kinds of respectable hospitalities. And they will surely ask me about the activities of Kangsa, and his friends. 
In this way, Akrura, the son of Shropalka, meditated upon Sri Krishna on his journey from Mathura. He reached Vrindavan by the end of the day. Akrura passed the whole journey without knowing how long it took. When he reached Vrindavan, the sun was setting. As soon as he entered the boundary of Vrindavan, he saw the hoofprints of the cows and Lord Krishna's footprints impressed with the signs of his souls, the flag, trident, thunderbolt, and lotus flower. These symbols on the souls of your Lord's transcendental lotus feet are worshipped by all the demigods and other great personalities throughout the three worlds. Upon seeing the footprints of Krishna, Akrura immediately jumped down from the chariot out of respect. He became overwhelmed with all the symptoms of ecstasy. He wept and his body trembled. Out of extreme jubilation, upon seeing the dust touched by the lotus feet of Krishna, Akrura fell flat on his face and began to roll on the ground. Akrura's journey to Vrindavan is exemplary. One who intends to visit Vrindavan should follow the ideal footsteps of Akrura and always think of the pastimes and activities of the Lord. As soon as one reaches the boundary of Vrindavan, he should immediately smear the dust of Vrindavan all over his body without thinking of his material position and prestige. Srilanartam Das Thakur has sung in a celebrated song, Vishaya Chadiya Kabi Shuddha Habimana. When my mind will be purified after leaving the contamination of material sense enjoyment, I shall be able, I shall be able to visit Vrindavan. Actually, one cannot go to Vrindavan by purchasing a ticket. The process of going to Vrindavan is shown by Akrura. When Akrura entered Vrindavan, he saw Krishna and Balaram engaged in supervising the milking of the cows. Krishna was dressed in yellow garments and Balaram in bluish. Akrura also saw that their eyes were exactly like beautiful, the beautiful lotus flower that grows during the autumn season. He saw Krishna and Balaram in the spring of their youth. Although they had the same bodily features, Krishna was blackish in complexion, whereas Balaram was whitish. Both were the shelter of the goddess of fortune. They had well-constructed bodies beautiful hands and pleasing faces, and they were as strong as elephants. Now, after seeing their footprints marked with flag, trident, thunderbolt, and lotus, Akrura actually saw Krishna and Balaram face to face. Although they were the most influential personalities, they were glancing at him with smiling faces. Akrura could understand that both Krishna and Balaram had returned from tending the cows in the forest. They had taken their baths and were dressed with fresh clothing and garlanded with flowers and with necklaces made of valuable jewels. Their bodies were smeared with the pulp of sandalwood. Akrura greatly appreciated the aroma 
lovely flowers and sandalwood and their bodily presence. He considered himself very fortunate to see Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and his plenary expansion, Balaram, face to face. For he knew that they were the original personalities of the creation. As stated in the Brahma Sangita, Krishna is the original personality of Godhead and the cause of all causes. Akrura could understand that the Supreme Personality of Godhead had appeared personally for the welfare of his creation to reestablish the principles of religion and to annihilate the demons. With their bodily effulgence, the brothers were dissipating all the darkness of the world as if they were mountains of sapphire and silver. Without hesitating, Akrura immediately got down from his chariot and fell flat, just like a rod before Krishna and Balaram. Upon touching the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he became overwhelmed with transcendental bliss. His voice choked up and he could not speak. Due to his transcendental pleasure, incessant torrents of tears fell from his eyes. He remained stunned in ecstasy, as if devoid of all powers to see and speak. Lord Krishna, who was very kind to his devotees, raised Akrura with his hand and embraced him. It appeared that Lord Krishna was very much pleased with Akrura. Balaram also embraced Akrura. Then the two lords took him by the hand and brought him to their sitting room where they offered him a very nice sitting place and water for washing his feet. They also worshipped him with a suitable presentation of honey mixed with other ingredients. When Akrura was thus comfortably seated, Krishna and Balaram offered him a cow in charity and then brought very palatable dishes and Akrura accepted them. When Akrura finished eating, Balaram gave him betel nut and spices, as well as pulp of sandalwood, just to make him more pleased and comfortable. The Vedic system of receiving a guest was completely observed by Lord Krishna himself to teach all others how to receive a guest at home. It is a Vedic injunction that even if a guest is an enemy, he should be received so well that he does not apprehend any danger from the host. If the host is a poor man, he should at least offer a straw mat as a sitting place and a glass of water to drink. Christian Balaram welcomed Akrura in a way just befitting his exalted position. After Akrura was thus properly received and seated, Nanda Maharaj, the father, foster father of Krishna, said, My dear Akrura, what shall I inquire from you? I know that you are being protected by Kangsa, who is most cruel and demoniac. His protection is just like the slaughterhouse keeper's protection of animals he will kill in the future. Kangsa is so selfish that he has killed the sons of his own sister. So how can I honestly believe that he is protecting the citizens of Mathura? This statement 
is most significant. If the political or executive heads of the state are simply interested in themselves, they can never look after the welfare of the citizens. As Nanda Maharaj spoke to Akrura with pleasing words, Akrura <coughs> forgot all the fatigue <coughs> of his day's journey from Mathura to Vrindavan. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 38th chapter of Krishna, Akrura's arrival in Vrindavan. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.